Somewhere about this time 50 years ago, I was living in Bowling Green, Kentucky, working with a youth team. We went across this region doing youth revivals in a tent. I had started preaching when I was 17, started pastoring when I was 18, and somewhere around 19 and a half, they kicked me out because I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I got the left foot of fellowship. I thought that was a terrible thing at the time, but now looking back, thank you, Jesus. But so after that, I hooked up with this team, and as I said, we would hold youth revivals. And, but there was one weekend when we didn't have anything scheduled, so we went to the home church that was sponsoring the youth team. And the pastor that morning got up and preached on the title that I borrowed from him to use today. I didn't steal it. I borrowed it from him. It's mine now. Don't let your occupation inoculate your vocation. And he used the passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 where it says this, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Don't let your occupation, which is the job you have, you earn money from that takes care of you and your family, Don't let it hinder your vocation or your calling. You say, well, only a few people have a calling. No. Biblically, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is Lord and Savior, you have a calling. It may be to stand in a teaching position or a pastoral, evangelistic, apostolic, prophetic, eldership of some, or it may not be. The calling you have may be consistent with the occupation or it may not be consistent with your occupation. The calling you have may be consistent with your personality or it may not be consistent with your personality. It could be, it could be something entirely different. Every individual is called by God. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, you are an ambassador for Christ. That does not mean only on Sunday. That does not mean inside the four walls of what we call a church building. It's wherever you are, whenever you are, you have this calling from God. How do you know you have a call from God? Well, one of the ways you know it, you you can never get away from it. You live with it. If you're a pastor, that's something you live with 24-7, 365 and one quarter days a year. It's there That's who you are. That's who you are in Jesus, and that's the call that he put into your life. But the same thing is true to every other person that has a calling. It's something you live with. You know it. So, well, what? I don't know what my calling is. Stay tuned. I'm about to show you. 
how to recognize it later. But the Bible indicates that you are a child of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. If you've made Jesus your Lord, then you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You are His possession. Scripture says we are not our own, for we have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That sounds like we belong to somebody else. And he has final say, and he can call us to do whatever he needs us to do. And it's our response to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know, if you're in the medical field, we have some doctors here, then they're a medical doctor. That's their job. That's their occupation. But their call may be something that works well with that, or it may be something that doesn't work so well with that, yet the call of God is still there. You may work on an assembly line. You may say, a calling? Man, I'm screwing big boats and big holes on the assembly line. Hey, there's people that work around you. Maybe God's got a call on your life to share Jesus with them. Not just by what you say, but by the way you live and the way you talk. Who knows what God may use you to do. Now, we are in this room right here. We've got, you know, a few hundred people. But we have individuals that are detail-oriented people. And then we have individuals who are big-picture people. And we're going to show you a couple little drawings up here. Some people are detail people. They start, I mean, they're down to the details. Every little thing has got to be just right. And they get out of sorts when it isn't just right. They're detail-oriented. And when they look at a problem or a situation or a circumstance, they look at the details of it. But as they go along, then that detail view may expand out till they see a bigger picture. On the flip side of that, next drawing, there are individuals that start with the big picture. They see everything. They see a panoramic view of the circumstance. But to really be productive, they have to get down to the nitty-gritty of the issue. What little I know about myself, I know that I'm a, I start off as a big picture person. In fact, if you, if you have listened to me teach or preach much, you'll know that I kind of paint a big picture sometimes. But I can get down to the detail, but that I start with the big picture. Some people are that way. Some people are detailed. They start with the detail. Is one right or wrong? No, that's just different. That's all it is, is different. But I have learned this. If you start with a big picture, if you're a big picture, a visionary, you need some people around you that are detail people to hold your feet to the fire. Otherwise, you're not going to accomplish much. On the other hand, if you are a detail person, everything has to be in its little slot, you need somebody to come along and say, hey, we got to look beyond what's right in front of your eyes. We need to see it out there. Actually, it's a good thing if you and I would be both of those at various times. Seeing detail and seeing big picture. 
Now, what does that have to do with what I'm talking about today? Because whichever one of those you are will affect not only your life in day-to-day situation, it will affect how you see Scripture. It will affect your ministry that God has given you. It will affect your understanding of biblical truth. Let's begin with the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 today. Very familiar, familiar passage. It says this, Being confident of this very thing, that, who, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to them, and us being confident, I'm confident, that the one who started a good work in you will complete it. Now, before we go into that much further, let's say this. Jesus has done some things for you and in you that are settled issues. For example, you've been born again. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord, you've been born again. That's a one-time event. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That is an accomplished fact. You have been taken from death to life, from spiritually blind to spiritually seeing. That is an accomplished fact. Those are some things that's already happened. But in addition to those things that are done already, he started something in that new birth that he is now still perfecting. How many of you know that you're not a finished product yet? Well, there's about 25, and the rest of you we're going to give the invitation for in a little bit. We are not, in one sense, yes, we have the life of God, and that part is finished. But in other sense, we are still, he's still working on us. What's he doing? He's trying to sanctify us greater and greater. What sanctification means simply means to be set apart. We have been totally positionally sanctified, but progressively it's being put into operation day by day in our life. So he says, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it. He'll keep on doing it. He's still working on us. He's still trying to complete us so that we are 100% set apart from not only Satan, that happened at the cross and resurrection, but that we're 100 set apart in every issue in life to his lordship. That's totally sanctified, totally set apart. That's expressed by holiness and obedience in life. At the new birth, he gave us eternal life. But that was the results of it are more than a one-time experience. He's made us righteous. But that's more than a single act of obedience. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, but that's more than a single answer to prayer. These are progressive things. They start here, but they manifest as we go through life. God has put his life in us. He's given us his life and nature. Do you know you have the nature of God on the inside of you? 
Let me say that again. You have the, if you're a believer in Jesus, and I don't mean just temporarily, mentally believe or assent to something. I mean, when I say believe in Jesus, I mean he, you've received him as Lord and he lives in you now. And his life and his nature is in you now. His, it's in there. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? Well, another passage in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 has this to say. Again, Paul, within the same context to them and us, is saying, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Stop there a minute. I pray that your love may abound more and more. See, we have the love of God living in us. We got His nature. We got His love. God is love. His nature is one of love. When He came in to live in us, he expresses his nature of love from within us. But what he's saying to them and to us is, I want to see that love abound more and more. What that means is, I want to see it touch every area of your life and affect every area of your life. You know, sometimes we Christians can become very unloving. I got four honest people here today. Sometimes we can be very unloving. And that's just the flesh. That's areas of our life that haven't yet been submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. So Paul is saying, I want to see more and more love manifest in knowledge, in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that you may be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All of those statements that he made there are a result of sanctification or being more and more set apart. Start from a position of sanctification because of the new birth. Progress through a greater manifestation of sanctification because we are obeying the word and will and spirit of God. And as we do so, then the love of God, the fruits of righteousness, the life, life and nature of Jesus become more manifest from within us expressed outwardly. So, how are we doing? How do we know if life is keeping us from our calling or our vocation. I want to suggest three things that might help us to, to know that. One question is, what occupies the most of your time? Now, I'm, I'm going to get real practical. I'm going to step on your toes. I apologize ahead of time. But if God convicts you, that's his job. That's not mine. I'm asking questions. How do we spend most of our time? We by that can tell if our lifestyle, our occupation is hindering the call of God. How do we spend most of our time? Second question, how do we spend our money? Billy Graham said, your checkbook shows who and how we worship. It's a spiritual document, one person has said. Your checkbook is a spiritual document. It shows who and how we worship. Third question. 
Where do our thoughts, on what plane do our thoughts flow, generally speaking? Those three questions, and there's many more, but those three can help us determine if our occupation is standing against our calling, our vocation, our calling. Which will it be? That's for you to decide. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. Now, you're on your job. You're doing what you've been assigned to do, what your job requires you to do. You're doing it faithfully to the best that you know how to do it and are able to do so. But sharing your faith in the midst of that, as you begin to share your faith, it, is, it comes forth in a more complete way and in a more anointed way as you begin to know and acknowledge who you are in Christ. If I had one life message, that's what it would be. To know and to live out who you are in Christ because that one truth will revolutionize your thinking and will give you victory over every circumstance in life. That's not to say that's the only truth. No, no, no. But it's one that will make a big difference in everything. Because everybody's going to face problems, circumstances, and situations that's not to your liking. Every one of us do. Sometimes every day. You can encounter that problem. You can deal with it from either a position of defeat or you can deal with it from a position of victory. And whichever way you approach it, is going to occupy a good portion of your life. But if you know that in Jesus Christ, He's already defeated the devil. He's already overcome the world. He's already living in you. He's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's already given you everything you need for life and godliness. And if you know those things, which are provided you in Christ, you approach that negative situation not from defeat, but from victory. I never have to pray to get to victory. I just thank God I have it. Can you see that's a different perspective? And that perspective either starts with detail to big picture, or it starts from big picture and then is implemented down to the minute details. That the communication of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. I remember a circumstance numerous times, but I'm thinking about one in particular. When we were not in Louisville, we were in another place, and we were having a whole, whole lot of problems in the church. How many of you folks know that churches historically don't have problems? I knew I would get a laugh on that one. Churches historically don't have problems. They don't. 
people have problems. People that make up churches have problems, but church corporately usually don't have many problems. Church corporately is pretty problem-free, actually. But people have problems. And so the church was having problems because most of the people in the church had problems and they brought them to church, which is the right place to take them. Take them to Jesus. Take them to people in the church that can help you to get them taken care of. So we had a lot of stuff going on. We fasted. We prayed. I taught the word. I counseled with people. I cast demons out of people. I laid hands on people. I visited people in their homes and in the hospital and wherever. And nothing was working. You ever been there? When you did all you knew what to do and it still didn't work. So what are you going to do when you've done all you know to do and it don't work? What do you do? Keep doing it. That's what you do. You don't give up and quit. Say, oh me, oh my, what shall I do now? You keep doing what the Word says. And having done all to stand, stand therefore with the armor of God on. So I called a friend of mine. I said, but, I mean, I, and he knew about the church because I had had him there in a meeting before, and, and so he, he was well aware of the situation. And actually, I found later he was responsible for me and being called there. And after I found that out, he wasn't my friend anymore. <laughs> so I called him and I said, what would you suggest? He started laughing. I said, it's not funny if you're in my shoes. He said, brother, here's what you do. This is real important. Now listen carefully. I said, okay, I'm listening. We were on the phone. He said, keep doing what you've been doing. You've been doing what's right. Just keep doing it. I said, I know that. I thought you'd have more wisdom. I thought you'd have a, you know, a quick fix. Sometimes there aren't any man-made quick fixes. But there is a God-prepared fix. And it's what he did on the cross and the application of his word as it's revealed in Scripture. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And we kept doing it. I said, Lord, as long as I'm here, at first, Lord, I'd like to be somewhere else. And he told me, no. As long as I'm here, if it kills me and Harold lips every cow in Texas, I'm going to keep doing what your word says. If people like it, that's fine. If they don't like it, it don't matter. You know what? You, you've heard the phrase, mind over matter. It don't matter if you don't mind. So I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Some of the people didn't like it and they left. Thank you, Jesus. That's some of my problems left. But you know what God did? He sent us more good people. Why am I saying? You start your, to deal with your problems from the position of victory. If you know what the Word says, keep declaring what the Word said and let that be the big picture. That's what he said. That's the outcome we're working for. We got a few details down here that are out of place. That is it. That's where we're going. 
boldness will be a result of knowing who you are in Christ. Boldness. Being bold as a lion. Righteous are as bold as a lion. Be bold. The only way you can do it is not pump yourself up. It's fill yourself with the Word of God. That's how you do it. Renew your mind with the Word of who you are. Aligns you with God's Word and God's plan. It brings out of your inner man what God has put within it. When you begin to acknowledge every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 say this. Go, or as you're going, make disciples of all the nations or people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end or the consummation of the ages. Now, most of us memorized that decades ago. But you know, it's still appropriate today. It is still the Great Commission. Regardless of our occupation, regardless of our vocation or calling, this applies to every one of us. Let me say that again. This applies to every one of us, not just to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and elders. This applies to every one of us. As you are going, in other words, doing your occupation, as you are going, make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I suggest the number one place you start is in your own home. Let me say that again. The number one place to start is in your own home. Sometimes we parents don't realize that we are discipling our children all the time, intentionally or unintentionally. Let that sink in. If you don't hear another thing I've said today or will say, let that sink in. I try to stay out of grocery stores and places like that because they're dangerous for me to be there. They're dangerous because little old ladies with big purses and grocery carts run over me all the time. I get pushed aside with elbows and big purses come around and hit me in the back and I'm standing in line and they bump into me and I almost fall backwards in their basket. So I try to stay out of those. But I remember not too long ago I was, I was in Kroger's up the road and I, I don't go in there to shop. I go in there to buy and get out as quickly with the least harm possible. So I know exactly, I'm going to get some green tea. I know exactly what aisle they're on. They're on that shelf. The brand I like is that. So I go in, and I start out, walking back. 
And I saw a mother with two little kids, bless her heart. She had more than her hands full, I could tell. And they were both throwing a fit. Now, they weren't infants. Seven, nine, something like that. But they were throwing a fit. They should have known better. Do you hear me? They should have known better. And I couldn't help but overhear the mother's conversation with these two children. She called them by name. She said, now, if you guys will behave, I will get you ice cream on the way home. She tried to bribe them. And I could tell that wasn't working. And then she offered them something else, and that wasn't working. And then she offered them something else than what I thought she should have been offering them. And I was thinking, Tim, you know, if if those kids had been in our house, I think I'd only had to do that one time. I thought, lady, you're offering them the wrong thing. You're promising something that they don't need. The very thing they need, you need to promise them and then carry through with it. And so as I'm leaving, and finally I get in my line, I had to wait in line to check out, and I saw eventually she got in the line next to the next counter, and the bargaining was still going on. I thought, honey, God bless you, give you wisdom, give you boldness, He gives you courage because you are teaching these kids something. You know what she was teaching them? We can out-talk you. We'll get our way if we complain and cry enough. Is that right? It is right. How many scriptures would you like? There's lots of them. One such as train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. She was training them, but in the wrong perspective. Remember the the old TV show, Black and White, Father Knows Best? I think they need to replay that probably about every day. Over and over again until the truth of what's behind it is actually received. I know that. See, I'm I'm a rough guy. You have to understand that. How can we begin to do this? Start with the family. Begin to pray for them. Read the Bible to them. Do an inductive discovery Bible study with your kids. We got some families in this church that are doing that right now or have done it already. And begin to teach them what the Word of God says. You don't have to have a whole lot of rules, but the rules you do have need to be enforced. And it doesn't take, well, you know, I got 14 pages worth of rules. No, you don't need all that stuff. You just need a few. The first one ought to be mom and dad are in charge. Period. Are you here? Mom and dad are in charge. Period. That's not up for discussion. 
Well, I want to appeal something else. No, you don't have an appeal on this thing. We are benevolent dictators in this house. God gave you to us to raise and train. That's our God-given assignment. And bless his holy name, we're going to do it. And if it means tanning your behind, it's tanned. You say, well, I wouldn't want to beat my kids. I don't want to beat them either. And you don't have to beat them. But you do have to get across the message. You know, some children don't need very much discipline. They just seem to be born with some of it. But most are not. They have to be taught it. They have to be taught it. So start at home with a Bible study, with prayer, and begin to apply biblical principles. And you will find that you are discipling your kids in a godly fashion. And when they turn out well, you get to look on their life years later and say, God, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for what you did with them. Perfect? Were we perfect? No. Did we do everything right? No, no, and no. But God's grace and his mercy. A whole lot of God's grace and mercy. And you say, thank you, Lord. Like John said, I believe it was 1 John, 2 John, maybe 3 John as well, when he talked about he had great love for his children. He's talking about his children in the faith. And he rejoiced because of their outcome. That's what you can do with your kids. So what is your calling? You know what your occupation is. What is your calling? What's your vocation? What's your God-giving call? It may be consistent with your occupation. It may not be. It may be something you want to do or something you don't want to do at this present time. I remember when I felt as a 17-year-old high school student that God was calling me into the Christian ministry to be a pastor and teacher. Did I want to do that? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. That was the last thing on my to-do list. Top of my to-do list, I want to be Mickey Mantle's replacement in center field for the Yankees. That was my number one priority. That didn't work. I had neither the ability nor the opportunity. <laughs> Only reason I wanted to do it because I wanted to make a lot of money like I thought they were. That did work. You see, I had an uncle who was a pastor. I had a brother who was a pastor. I had a brother-in-law who was a pastor. I had two other brothers who were senior deacons in their church. And then later, one of those deacon brothers became a pastor. And he had a whole quartet out of my immediate family of southern gospel singers, and they traveled and sang all over the local area. So being a pastor? No, I'm not interested. But when God said, that's what I want for you, I said, dear Lord, no, I rebuke you, devil. 
But isn't it great that God knows us? When we do and say something stupid like that, God says, he just don't get it yet. He don't get it yet. So the, God confirmed it to me over and over again. So I was a freshman in Bible college. And I remember the day. I remember the day. It was in the summer of 1965 when I said yes to Jesus. I will do that. I will do that. I will do that. You know what happened immediately, quicker than that? All of the turmoil that I had going on on the inside of me and in, our, in my mind just suddenly whoo, evaporated. When I said yes, that's been over 53 years ago, and God's been faithful and merciful. He'll do the same thing for you. Whatever your calling is, if you can identify it and then say yes, teaching them to obey what I have commanded you. Teach them to obey what I have commanded. And I'll be with you to the consummation of the ages. He will do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your divine ability that you have placed in every one of us. I thank you, Lord, for the call of God that's upon every Christian in this place. I thank you, Lord, that they have a supernaturally given call upon their life. Lord, I pray that today some of them are here even now thinking, what is my call? What have you called me to do, Lord? I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to know either supernaturally, even as we're talking now, or in the next few hours or days, that you'll cause them to know for sure what you have placed within them. They'll begin to acknowledge all the many wonderful things that you have given to them. And they'll begin to respond positively. They'll say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll do that. Help us, Lord, not to be Jonas who run from you, but to run to you and to serve you. Father, I pray that in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? I want to give the invitation right where you stand. I want to challenge you to do something. We're going to take a few minutes, a few moments. And if you don't know what your calling is, I, I simply want you to ask God right now to do it. Just ask Him, Lord, what is my call? What is my call? What do you want out of my life? Lord, all these young people spread out here, middle-aged people, Older people. Doesn't matter. We had a member of this church a number of years ago. He's passed on now. He, is, he was a member of this church for dec maybe three decades. All that time, no telling how many times he talked with me about God's call on his life. 
He said, I know God has a call on my life, but I don't know what it is. So we talked and we shared. We shared scripture, laid hands on him numerous times. Right before he passed away, he was in the hospital and I was up there visiting one day. Nobody was there but he and myself. He said to me, I know I'm only a few days to live. But I still don't know why God put me on the earth. He was a good man. He loved Jesus. He knew the word of God. But he didn't know why he was here. He did a lot of good. And I was thinking, and that's bad not to know why you're here. Someone has said the greatest day of your life is the day you're born, and the second greatest day is the day you find out why. That's the call of God, is when you find out what the why is. That's your call. Father, I pray for every person here today that we will know our calling that you have placed within us. In Jesus' name.